This is the Purpose Church Podcast. We exist to help every person live on purpose. It is our prayer that this message helps you experience God in a brand new way. Well, amen. Welcome to church today. And I hope you guys had a great Thanksgiving. Glad that you are here today at church. If you're here for the very first time, a big special welcome to you. Church, say hello to those that are here for the first time. Glad you're here today. Inside your worship guide that you received from some beautiful smiling faces as you walked in the door is a connection card. If you wouldn't mind filling that out, let Kelly and I know you were here. We'd love to send you a letter, tell you uh, what you can do from here, some next steps should you choose to take them. Uh, But we're just honored that you're here today. And it's going to be a really, really great day. I mean, first service, we had a wonderful time at the altar where we were praying and thinking through uh, just what God had for us about this topic. Uh, And next week, we're going to, because I'm going to share with you today something that, it's a standalone Sunday. We're not starting a series today. We just ended a series. A standalone series, I don't normally do those. There's usually someone else who will speak in between a series. So when I get a chance to do them, it's really fun. I go back into my journal and I look up like things that I've been thinking through and praying through and really meditating on for a while. And so I dug all the way back to February of this year and I'm going to bring something out for you today that's really made a difference in my life and I think it's going to be very helpful to you. Before we jump into that, I want to tell you next week we start a series called Missing Peace, and that is our Christmas focus series. You don't want to miss any of those weeks, and it ends um, on Christmas Eve, which happens to be a Sunday this year. So we'll have the regular morning service times, and we'll do carols. It's a totally different service, carols, candlelight, all of that. It's going to be fun. Uh, so bring your family with you. We said in first service, if family's coming to visit you, you're still a Christian. So you bring them to church. With you. You don't stay home and let them see lukewarm. You bring them here and let them see white hot. Somebody say amen to that. Anyhow, soapbox over. All right, I want to draw our attention uh, to a skill of Christian maturity. And I know that that's just riveting already, right? But I want to draw our attention to a skill of Christian maturity. There's undeniable momentum in God's house right now. There's undeniable excitement. There's undeniable joy. God is up to something. But what gets us through the moments when all of that is gone is the Christian maturity skill of reflection. Somebody say reflection. It's the Christian maturity skill of reflection. Now, you're not always going to feel like white hot spiritually. You're not always going to get the goosebumps in worship. You're not always going to want to come to the altar. You're not always going to feel close to God. You're not always going to feel like he's speaking. You're not always going to want to come to church. You're not always going to want to go to small group. The excitement and joy and all that is great. The momentum is great. But what about when that is low or lacking? What gets us through those moments, and it is the Christian maturity skill of reflection. It's not do better. It's not try harder. It's not pray louder. It's not yell like a Pentecostal. It's reflection. It's not about your behavior. It's about your connection. So we have to learn about that today, and 
for the longest time, I thought it, that was not it. I w- did not know about that, did not learn about that. It was, we're just going to march harder and sing louder and pray louder and use more these and thous in our prayers. It didn't work. Because there, there is something that we ha- I had to learn was that it wasn't my behavior modification that was producing self-righteousness in it, uh, at best that was going to get me through those moments. It was my simple connection to God and reflecting on what he had already brought me through. So we've seen some crazy miracles this year, haven't we? God's done some crazy stuff. We've seen some crazy miracles. Uh, the church has grown 54% in the last 10 months. We've seen uh, the youth group grow 90%. The kids department has grown 34%. That number is notwithstanding your prolific procreation, um, but 34% just from people joining the church with children. Um, we, we have seen God do incredible things. 103 people graduated growth track this year. Um, we've just seen God do incredible things. We've seen it in our personal lives. We've seen it in our church and One of the miracles we experienced was last Sunday. Last Sunday was Legacy Sunday. If you don't know what Legacy is, real quick, it's a season we do at the end of, 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 around the end of our year, every year as a church. We've been doing it now for eight years. And we focus on collectively, how can we make a big splash? How can we make a big impact um, in the future? How can we make, how can we stake a claim? How can we get focused together and not just um, think about what could be? How could we see it and go after it together? And leg- it's about leaving a legacy. What can we do to make a splash in that subject matter? What, and so we've been talking about that, and we had the focus this year. Uh, we learned a lot about legacy in the four weeks. Pastor Jackie, one of our overseers from Church on the Rock in Lubbock, came and spoke during that series and instilled a lot of faith into us that day. And we had a goal set at the end of every legacy series as a legacy offering. And we had a goal set for $50,000. And the focus of that offering was the um, blueprints, digital renderings, and uh, the final construction budget for our building we want to build on the land we own on I-35 and Country Club Boulevard, the corner of the old bankrupt golf course. And we were uh, thinking about what God wants to do with that. And we're like, okay, to get to that construction budget... To, because the construction budget is this is how many millions of dollars it's going to cost uh, to build, and that's what we would go after and find out what we would need to raise for the down payment to roll over the land mortgage into the construction loan and, and break ground on building. So that's a big next step. So we were talking with our developer, uh, Master's Plan in Tulsa, Oklahoma, and we came up with the number 50,000. We'd get, they fly down here, do all the stuff with the city, get all of that together. It was a big goal. Uh, and so we set that goal, and it was an incredible day. Uh, it was an incredible day because, you know, Kelly and I don't have enough charisma to make people want to give money. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. I mean, we're not TV preachers. We're not going to manipulate you. We're not going to do that. But what we are going to do is tell you this is what's at stake for our great-grandchildren, and this is who we are as a church. Here's the gap. What are we going to do about the gap? And invite you into it. And you responded. The goal was $50,000, and as of this morning, the legacy offering total was $117,583.54. Won't he do it? Some people said, you know, we were thinking about the word double, you know, and 
I heard that a lot as a kid too. You know, when, when somebody would tell me to do something, I would double down, usually not in an obedient way. Um, <clears throat> but now I get to use my stubbornness for the Lord. Somebody say amen. It's just a good day. Um, but last year we had 65 giving units. Uh, this year we had 140 um, people give to the legacy offering. Um, and that number is not like someone gave 109,000. No, it was, there was a couple of gifts that were over 10,000, 10,000, 12,000. But everything else was everybody pitching in. Um, and it's just incredible uh, to see. Uh, Chris and Lauren Morris, uh, they were in first service. They wrote in the, the church center app that our dream team uses to communicate and all of that. If you don't have it, download it. He said, when Lauren and I got home, we both agreed that we really thought it would come in. The offering would come in above 100K and that God was going to double our goal. Somebody say double. We just felt like there's been so much excitement in the air and we wanted to see that goal explode. We're really excited to see what God's going to do in this next year. The Johnston said, Jordan Johnson said, double upon double upon double. It has come to my attention that in prior years, the legacy contribution was around 25,000. The fact that you set the goal this year at 50000 tells me that God told you and Kelly to double it. In my freedom group last week, we had a conversation about Legacy Sunday, and each man was stating that they came up with an amount they were comfortable with donating. After the group, each man felt God was telling them to double their amount. It's not surprising to me at all that on Legacy Sunday, the contribution was more than double the goal. I'm wondering how many other people God is also telling them to double it. I bet it was a lot, double upon double upon double. Uh, Post-Legacy Sunday, uh, the McLeods said, you guys, Jamie and I prayerfully considered what we were to give in advance on Sunday. I had a sense of it, and my bride confirmed it, that we were to double last year's legacy offering. But before first service, I saw spiritual warfare taking place, and I saw how angry the powers of darkness were. And all I could think was to trust God completely. Think bigger and wade into deeper waters. Do what you will do, Lord. In faith, we gave more than what made financial sense, and I can tell you the Lord did not wait. A tax return that I wasn't even expecting beat us home to cover the difference. I'm absolutely blown away. The Bible says, test me in this and watch what I will do. Perla said, a huge unexpected bonus from work. Those are holy words right there. Was waiting... For me this morning, only God. Somebody say God's up to something. <clears throat> you know, when God's up to something, the devil is too. <laughs> he's, he doesn't sit. He's not lazy. The, the devil is highly active. Um, and he's, he's got a plan too for you, just like God does. He's got a plan. And the Bible says we lose the battle if we are ignorant of the devil's plans. And I don't want us to be ignorant. Kelly and I don't want you to be ignorant. We don't want to be ignorant. We want to know what the devil's doing. Can you imagine a country going into war, not even knowing who they're fighting or what weapons they brought with them? But we as Christians do that consistently. And we have to take time to stop and see what the devil's up to. And so there are a couple of things I wanted to share with you that I know he's really good at, that I know he wants to do. The first thing the enemy will try to do is to sow seeds of doubt. He will sow seeds of doubt. So we're not going to be ignorant of what he's trying to do. He will sow seeds of doubt. He will convince you that your decisions for Jesus or your decisions in the offering, your decisions um, for uh, going to growth track, your decisions for your faith decisions, whatever whatever they were, were emotional responses. He will convince you that it was just 
the way that James Schaefer was playing the keys, it just got to your heart. <clears throat> he'll convince you that it was um, what happened in the week before. He'll, he'll convince you uh, that it was uh, the way you were, you know, the food you had the night before, it's making you do crazy things. He'll convince you, whatever it was, these things come into our mind and he'll cause doubt. He'll cause doubt. Can I tell you something? The day you got saved, you're not going to feel like that every single day. It's a trust of and a fact that God saved your soul through his son, Jesus Christ, and the devil can't take that away from you. No matter how you feel that day, no matter how dumb you're acting that day, Jesus loves you even more that day. And so we don't need an emotional response to make us feel like Christians. We are Christians, regardless of how we feel. And we're not going to let the devil make us doubt. Somebody say amen. The second thing he'll do, and this one really makes me mad, is he'll remind you of and exaggerate your sin. Oh, man, the devil loves to make it sound like what you did was such a big deal. Like that, that everything you did was this massive thing that disqualifies you from God's love. In fact, when you read through Scripture, we see that the Bible does say to repent, and we know that the word repentance doesn't mean to run from sin. It means to change your mind. So when we change our mind, our direction changes. So the Greek word metanoia doesn't mean to run from sin. It means to change the way you think. So we know that Jesus does very clear that sin will separate us from God. Jesus bridges the gap. We can bank on that. And we, can't, we don't need to doubt that. That is truth. But then the devil's going to go, are you sure? Doesn't that sound like a little Garden of Eden-ish to you? Did Jesus, did God really say? Did he really say not to do that? Did he? And this doubt creeps in and then doubt births doubt, births doubt, births doubt. And the dominoes fall that direction. So we have to be highly aware, almost vigilant even, about what he's trying to do because the devil is more concerned about your sin um, than anyone else. Jesus is just trying to get close to you because you connect to the vine, you birth new fruit. You get close to him, the fruits of the Spirit begin to come through you. New things grow. New growth pushes out the old bad stuff. And that's how God works. He doesn't... Jesus never cleaned his fish before he caught him. Got him in the boat first. All the disciples were crazy, racist people. Didn't even like each other. Wouldn't even look at each other in the eyes. And then he made them all sit on the same bench on a team. Changed their life forever. And then they all died defending their faith except one. There's something about knowing what the devil's up to that brings clarity, at least to me. If I'm like, oh yeah, that is what he's doing. It makes things look more clear. We can see what he's up to and it brings a certain level of peace because the devil wants you to remember your past. He doesn't want you to remember your future or think of your future. So today I wanted to bring a fatherly word of caution and encouragement and focus <clears throat> about the tangible benefits of reflection. So first thing, we know what the devil's up to. Now let's talk about us as humans. For the most part, human beings, except for a few of you angelic folks, are predisposed to the negative. Human beings by nature are not naturally positive. 
you get a bill in the mail you weren't expecting, you don't go to your knees in prayer thanking God for the opportunity and thanking, <laughs> thanking God for the job you have to pay this bill. You throw the bill in the trash and you go watch TV. That, we, don't, we, don't, we don't have a, a positive response to stimuli most of the time. Think about it. You get stuck in traffic. You get caught in traffic. You're thinking, you idiot. You idiot. I bet you have a license plate from not here. <clears throat> you start looking around. And most of the time it's true, which doesn't help my, my belief at all. Uh, but my kids have even caught on to some of my lingo, which is something I need to repent for and help, you know, help deprogram them. Um, but we, we say, you idiot. We don't go, God, I really hope they're okay. They've got somewhere to really be. And, and I, God, would you keep them safe? Traveling mercies around their car in Jesus' name. You don't do that. You don't do that. The other day I caught Bradley giving someone the pinky finger out the window. And I was like... Son, we only do that when we drive by, you, you, you know, when, when we drive by, like, Permian High School or something. I taught him how to do that in Odessa this week. I was like, that's the only time we do that is when it runs deep in your DNA. We don't do it any other time. Um, he's like, but they're stupid. I, yeah, I got some deprogramming to do. <laughs> what about when your spouse says something that hits you wrong at first? We're like, if he respected me. If he loved me, if she respect, if she knew how hard I work, how much I sacrifice for his family. No, we, we, that's what we're like, what are you, you getting at? Like we, we're predisposed to go at it. We don't sit there and go, I know he loves me. I know she loves me. And he must have had a really bad day. I'm going to get closer to the badger. And I'm going to see, <laughs> I'm going to see if I can help. That's not what we do. We smack the badger with a shovel. <laughs> you know what's funny is like largely you and I have been trained in, have not been trained to reflect in Christ. We've been trained to react. And so we're trained as humans and culture doesn't help any within the tactical art of skepticism and cynicism and they're closely related but more widely accepted cousin, sarcasm. And some of you hold a gold medal in all three. <laughs> but we need to learn how to reflect. Because the enemy's plans and our predispositions are powerful. And we got to be covered in prayer and we got we to gotta have our lives covered in reflection. We got to know that. And so to learn this powerful skill, let's look at Isaiah 43. The prophet Isaiah is appealing to a powerful memory for the Israelites. He's talking to them about the Exodus when, they, when millions of Jews marched out of Egypt, crossed the Red Sea on dry ground, and then as the Egyptians realized they made a major mistake of letting them go, they chased them down and they all were killed when, when God brought the walls of water back down. And he's reminding them of this time and how God devastated their enemies and is brought, bringing them into the promised land and they no longer have to be slaves to a foreign power or to sin. So Isaiah 43, it says, but the Lord says, everybody said the Lord says, <clears throat> do not cling to the events of the past or dwell on what happened long ago. Watch for the new thing I'm going to do. It's happening already. You can see it now. I will make a road through the wilderness and give you streams of water there. Even the wild animals will honor me. 
Jackals and ostriches will praise me when I make rivers flow in the desert to give water to my chosen people. They are the people I made for myself, and they will sing my praises. Everybody say the word cling. Say dwell. Now those words in Hebrew means to look back at with a focus of responding in an appropriate manner. So to, again, we've talked about how Hebrew is just a very beautiful language, and English is very literal and limited. And so we have to look at the, uh, the languages the Bible was written in for it to make sense in a Western context um, and an English-speaking culture. And so when we look back at Hebrew and Aramaic and Greek, what we see is that it meant so much more to them than just don't think about it. This is what it sounds like when we read it. Just don't think about the past. Don't cling on it. No, it's much more beautiful. It's like, hey, don't look at the past and let it take you down. Look at it and respond to it with an appropriate positivity and faith. Is the word. Now, why they don't translate all of these things this way is probably because they don't want the Bible to be 9 million pages. Because it would have to be so expanded. If you want an expanded Bible, there is a Bible called the Expanded Bible. And one called the Amplified. And there's a, a, a new Amplified. And they'll have brackets where they expound on different languages if you want a good study Bible. And so when we're looking at what it says in Hebrew, I just love the, the mindset here. Look what Soren Korkegaard says. It says, life can only be understood backward. But it must be lived forward. A lot of us are trying to do that, the opposite. We're trying to understand, make sense of the future that you don't know, and we're living in the past. And we wonder why we're full of anxiety and depression. So we got to think about it the way God says. C.S. Lewis said, we all want progress, <laughs> but if you're on the wrong road, progress means doing an about turn, doing a U-turn, and walking back to the right road. The man who turns back the soonest is the most progressive. And so it's, it's a mindset. The only way you can turn back sooner is if you're reflecting on the decisions you've made. Because a lot of us look up and we go, I don't know how I got here. So we didn't stop and think about the road we were on. We didn't stop and think about what our new job position at work was doing to our family when it took us away from the home. We didn't stop to think about that it wasn't a good idea to miss out on small group that it wasn't a good idea to disconnect ourselves for the dollar. We didn't stop to think about it, and then we look up, and we don't like what we're living in because we didn't stop and think, pray, and reflect. And so your hearts want progress in God. We know that. But we, we, none of us are predisposed to, to think positively. The devil is involved. And if we're not careful, we won't listen to wisdom. We won't reflect. So let's learn. Let's learn a little bit. <clears throat> Everyone reflects in different ways, but you also reflect in different places. Some people, I've seen them. I, I saw one of my buddies who pastors a church here in town, and he was at a coffee shop. He had his little earbuds in, earbuds in, whatever they're called. And he was sitting there writing down, thinking and, and, and journaling. And I'm like, I can't do that. There can't be human beings near me at all if I'm going to have any train of thought worth listening to. There's no way. Because I'll be sitting there listening to God, and I'm like, man, someone's perfume is strong. And then I'm off. I mean, I can't even think anymore. You know, it, it's like there's, there, there, everyone reflects it, but he likes the hustle and bustle and feels cool. Now I'm like, all right, whatever. I can't do that. So I go out to Landa Park and walk around. It's 20 minutes from here. 
And you can see where the actual aquifer comes out of the ground and feeds into Canyon Lake. You can see it coming out of the ground, bubbling out of the ground. Like, you, you go, go walk around, be around uh, things that, if it helps you, you do what helps you. But the, one, the, the three things that we know do uh, happen in reflection, no matter where you reflect, is there's got to be some level of focus, some level of quiet, and there's got to be some level of journaling. You, you can't reflect um, without creating a space for you to be able to do that and a time for you to be able to do that. And so let's talk about reflecting, what reflecting does. So what I didn't want to do is tell you how to reflect because you're not me. Some of you are like, Landon, it's Mountain Cedar season. I ain't going outside till Valentine's Day. So I'm not going to Landon Park and walking around the cedar bomb of death. I'm not doing it. That's fair. That's fair. So I'm not going to tell you how to reflect, but I am going to tell you what reflection does. And you can figure out how you want to do it. All right, so number one, reflection allows you to see how far you've come. It allows you to see how far you've come. Looking back and seeing, wow, I can't believe it. Like the, the, the video we watched last week uh, when Tia beautifully sang the church I grew up in. Like looking back and seeing how far the church has come. When that picture came up of us at the wedding venue and the, or the picture at Tejeda Middle School or uh, the, the one that got to me the most was the picture that our first service back from COVID at the Hilton Garden Inn. And setting up, wondering if we're even allowed to look at each other. And seeing how far things have come. Looking back helps you see God in the story. It brings a level of peace and security to me. It brings hope to me when I can see God in the story because we forget we forget, and when we don't see God in our past, we're automatically installing worry into our future. And so we got to look back to see where God has been. But one thing that you and I do a lot, we love to look back. Facebook reminds us of all the things you posted a year ago or, or whatever. So we all like to look back at things. The kids were looking through my phone today. It's got pictures all the way back to uh, when Bradley was born. And I took Levi to the park. Uh, to, you know, get him out of the house a little bit um, the day before Bradley was born. And they love to even look at, like, who's this person? Who's this person? Like, they're putting things together. It helps you make sense of things. Um, it helps you see God in the story. But comparison will kill it. So comparison will kill it. So what happens is when you're on your phone and Facebook reminds you of, look at this, look at this picture of your kid you posted last year. But then it shows you what everyone else is doing that looks better than what you're doing at the same time. It creates this emotional gap that will inevitably create an amount of emotional distortion to which you feel is debilitating. And that's how they created these algorithms to addict you. That's the whole part. That's how they get you. They wanted it that way. Even the people who run Facebook and Instagram don't let their children on it. Isn't that something? So there's a, a truth here that you guys need to know. If you're comparing your past to someone else's now, there will always be a gap. And then you turn judgmental because you're trying to find someone who's worse off than you, and you're like, at least I'm not them. So it's self-righteousness and judgmentalism at best. But when we reflect and think and see God in it, we can see how far we've come, the church included. 
And reflecting makes it possible. We make sense of the past and we're able to have joy in the now. Reflecting makes that possible. Number two, reflecting gives you perspective. Somebody asked me, Landon, if you had one last sermon to preach, if you knew that you were going to be gone tomorrow, I would talk to you about perspective and how God has to be in the story. Because that will affect every scenario of your life. Give you perspective. Let me show you some, can I show you some perspective I've received lately? Some personal perspective that has to do with the church. Perspective number one, God is maturing his church. He's maturing her. And I can prove it to you. How do I know that? I know that because of your responses to adversity this year. And your responses to demonic attack. There used to be a time where if any of us in this room got a flat tire, we'd curse God and say, forget it. And, but that was your and mine's fault for not changing out our tires every 60,000 miles. But whatever. But we know God's maturing his church. We talked a couple weeks ago about the spirit of fear. And, and we were at worship practice that night, and we could tell something was bothering everybody. And I was like, what is the deal? So we kind of paused for a minute. I said, hey, let's, y'all, let's go around the room and tell me how you're doing. And uh, we went around the room, and the booth is everyone who's in the booth and stage, they're all there that night. And they got done with their sectional rehearsals, and we're all in the room together. And <clears throat> one by one, we began to uncover that the spirit of fear was operating at a debilitating level. That the devil does not fight fair because he's not like an opponent on a football field. He hates you. He doesn't fight fair. He, he only knows low blows. That's all he knows. And so we began to find that more than half of the room were having nightmares of their children being taken or their children dying. And isn't it just like the devils were going into legacy season and we're thinking about the next generation to come and low blow a parent at the point of their greatest love. And we began to uncover what the devil was doing. One on one people were, were, we were all tearing up just seeing what the devil was doing to everybody. And we were like, you know, this ends tonight. So everybody put their instruments down and we all prayed for each other. We broke hell's back that night. And we rebuked the spirit of fear. And then I said, now... Turn your attention to the church because you're the trumpeters on the stage. You're the first ones blowing the trumpet before they walk in the room. And they prayed over every one of you that the spirit of fear would be broken. That day, we had over 200 people come to the altar to rebuke the spirit of fear over their home. Oh, the devil got mad that day. Oh, the devil got mad that day. Love, I love seeing people rise up. That is a spiritual maturity. And you know why? Because everyone in the room could have been like, I'm fine. Man, bless God. I'm highly favored. Man, I'm highly favored. They could have all sat in the worship circle and lied to me. And then the spirit of fear would have gone home with them. But instead it died at the office. It died right there in the middle of the room. Doesn't mean he won't try again because the devil's a hard, you know, hard-headed guy. And he doesn't have a lot of tricks and tools. He just does the same thing over and over and over since creation. And so what we have to know is how to identify him. And we only do that if we stop, pause, and reflect. And that's what we did that night at worship practice. Worship team went home about an hour later that night, and I guarantee you, if you ask anyone that was in the room, if they regret going home an hour later, they would go, I didn't remember we were there an hour later. We stopped the show, stopped the pause. What is God up to? It gives you perspective. We see God maturing his church because it's natural and easy to feel negative when there's emotional strain, 
Did any of you react positively to your children when you're strained emotionally? No. They're, they're minions, terrible little minions when you're strained. It's natural and easy to feel negative when you're stretched, when there's mental decision fatigue. We don't respond our best. When you're not sleeping well, when you're having nightmares, there's these gaps that are created. And without perspective, those thoughts can run wild. So we have to reflect. The second perspective I've been thinking through is that God is leading you, God is leading us through this, through these pain seasons on purpose. Whether he caught, like whether you caused the pain or the devil caused the pain, whatever, God is going to use every ounce of pain to bring a purpose into your life. He does, God does not waste pain. He does not waste it. He will see you through it. And everything you've walked through this year is, is a lesson to be learned. And I don't know about you, but I hate retaking tests. So I want to pass the test I'm in now. I don't want to retake that test. I want to learn. So reflecting lets you stop and slow down and see what God is doing through the pain. Miracle upon miracles have happened. And as we identify where the devil is, it allows those miracles to shine through. Isn't that beautiful? So Legacy Sunday, uh, I talked to Pastor Jackie and our architect developer uh, in Tulsa. And here's some of the things they said. So like, these are some of the miracles that get overshadowed if we don't get perspective. Uh, God is showing you that he is with you on this. All the pain the church has gone through, the six venues in eight years, all of the stretching, the growing, all of the things that you're going through spiritually because you're maturing in Christ. It's not easy maturing in Christ, is it? Because you're not, things that used to not bother you bother you now because your heart's connected to God now in a deeper way. And so you have to like pray through all of that. It's not easy. But he said, God's showing you that he's with you on this. People don't respond to a legacy offering like that if they're not invested. God's showing you he's with you. God's been teaching you and maturing you through the pain. And then Pastor Jackie said, that kind of generous giving only happens if there's a reflection of faith. And people are trusting God. This is only the beginning. And so that was a, a great perspective. God is showing you he's with you on this. Did our circumstances change? No. Are we still in the school right now? Yep. Nothing's changed except for We've exposed the enemy, we've gotten perspective, and faith is going through the roof. Circumstances notwithstanding, our faith is not bought out by circumstance. So I want to ask you, what perspectives have you gained recently? What are some things God's showing you? And I wonder what you'll be feeling and thinking once God, once you give God the space to speak through reflection. Number three, <coughs> reflection makes gratitude possible. I don't know about you, but when I'm worried about the future, I'm sure not a thankful type of person in the present. But when you look back and see what God has done, it's hard not to be thankful. When you look back and see all that God has done and the testimonies we shared all throughout Legacy, and I've got one more today I'm going to share with you uh, that came in after Legacy Sunday. Like the, it's hard not to be thankful. Reflection makes gratitude possible. That's why I love that old song, look what the Lord has done. Look what he's done. He healed my body. He touched my mind. He saved me just in time. Like I'm, I'm not going to back off because I've seen the hand of God and I can't unsee it. It makes gratitude possible. Charles Dickens said, reflect upon your present blessings. 
of which every person has many. Not on your past misfortune, of which all men have some. It's incredible that the scales will usually tip into the misfortune. But you, you're much more blessed than you think. And when we reflect, we can see it. Ephesians 5.4 says, Thanksgiving is our dialect. I love that. Thanksgiving is our dialect. It's how Christians talk. In fact, the word Eucharist means gratitude. And all of you former Catholics in the room just twitched a little. I saw it. But the word Eucharist means gratitude. More directly, thankful speech. Thankful language. It's not a sacrament. It's gratitude spoken. But when we get a hold of it, we turn it into tradition and then we lose the real meaning. But, and then the, the actual Greek word, circumstances notwithstanding, we give gratitude out of our mouths anyway. That's what the word Eucharist means. Isn't that good? I know I'm a really big nerd with this stuff. You guys should be just as happy as I am with this. Because this is really cool stuff. So when you're feeling pushed and oppressed, and you're feeling down, you're feeling worried, it literally runs hell off when you start thanking God for everything you can think of. The other day, I couldn't think of anything to thank God for. I was so mad. I'm just being honest with you. Is that okay? Like, I get mad too. And I was like, God, thank you for the truck I'm driving. That it runs. That it's not a Ford. I didn't say that part. That was just a mess of y'all. Thank you that it's paid off. Thank you for the kids. And then it started going out. Thank you for the kids I'm going to pick up with this truck. Thank you for their health. And then it just kept going. Your mind starts to unlock. And then by the time I picked up my kids, I took them to get milkshakes, which I never do. So obviously God changed my heart because that was, that was ridiculous. Anyway. So here's one thing I want to share with you. We will reflect, not deflect. We're, we are trained in the art of deflection and skepticism. And we know we're deflecting when we make excuses. There's some deflection flags we make, when we make excuses for our shortcomings. But we want grace for us, but justice on everyone else. That's deflection. When we refuse to take responsibility for our behavior. So when we're like, you know, I, I do this, but just God's not opened the door. <laughs> I, I don't. I don't think that's the door you're supposed to walk through then if you didn't open it. And so when, when, we, when we make excuses, when we refuse to take responsibility for our current condition, I've literally heard some of us, and you guys have grown through this in a mature Christian way, which is incredible, that we've stopped making excuses for our finances and reflected on all the poor decisions we've made and gone back and rectified them, and now you're able to give to God. You've gone through a lot of the financial coaching that the church offers to you for free. And you've made adjustments in your home to honor God. And it shows. And so you've stopped deflecting on that. And then deflection is not apologizing for mistakes. That everyone else is wrong and you're not. Or calling others out for something. In response to you being called out. So it's just like boom, 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 boom. It's like you don't even listen. It's just boom, boom. You got, you got like, you're ready. You got them ready. Like you showed up to the meeting ready to fire. <clears throat> and the last flag is making it other people's job to accept us, flaws and all, no matter how it affects them. And so these, 
Deflection flags, I noticed, were my normal operating procedure for years. And now, when Kelly and I talk to you guys about the palms up thing, it's literally what we do. When I, when I pray, my hands are usually like this, not like this. It's usually like, God, I, I'm, I'm letting go of all of it. What do you want to put in these hands? Thinking through that, when I go into a meeting that I know is going to be a little difficult, usually my hands are like this under the table. Because it's really hard to be frustrated with an open hand posture. It's an incredible physiological thing that God built us with. Isn't that something? Because if you come in like this, <laughs> you ain't ready to learn. Come in like this, you're ready to receive. Number four, well, let me say this. When we reflect, we leave grateful. When we deflect, we leave angry or frustrated or despondent. So number four is reflection makes our next steps effective. Anybody ever made a rash purchase decision? Anybody still paying off a mattress? Anybody, like, we're, like we, we've made really poor decisions. We've made very poor decisions in our haste. We've made poor decisions in relationships. We've made poor decisions financially. We've made poor decisions with our faith. And when we, if we look back and reflect on them, we can learn from them. Reflection will often lead to meditation where you're really thinking through what God's trying to teach you through it. But the Bible in Isaiah, when it said, don't dwell on the past, it means don't chew the cud. For all of you city folk, cows will eat grass and vomit it out, eat it again, vomit it out. They do that four times before they actually digest it. And we do that. We ruminate. We chew on it, we vomit it out, we chew on it again, we vomit it, we chew on it, we vomit it again. And he's saying, don't ruminate on it. Don't chew that cud. Like, it's already been digested. Let's learn from it. So you don't eat that again. So that's the Christian perspective. It'll make reflection, it'll make these next steps better and more effective. And here's what I wanted, one thing, if you don't leave with anything else today, leave with this. The end of the year is the time of reflection, not January. January is time for action based on December's reflection. So reflect now, and you're already a month ahead of yourself from last year. And start making steps based on what you heard God say. And God will never go against his word, and he will never lead you to isolation. And so if, if anything's going that way, you're hearing the wrong voice. And so you need to take some time in December, maybe just one or two days, hours if you can get it, and just make space. Because God wants to speak, but he's not going to scream. In fact, it's the gentle whispers of the Lord that are game changers. It's the gentle whispers that can change the trajectory of a life. But if the noise of our life is so loud and we've not allowed God to speak, we're making decisions based on our own intellect. And the last time I read the book of Proverbs, that doesn't end well. It's got to have God's fingerprints on it. Peter Drucker says, follow effective, uh, effective action with quiet reflection. From the quiet reflection will come even more effective action. 
So let's reflect. One more story. You got time for one more story before we start Christmas season around here? One more story. This is from Jesse and Jacqueline. Jacqueline wrote it. And I think it's going to really minister to you guys because we've been telling a lot of stories about people who they gave to Legacy and they showed up and the government gave them money. And you're like, that's crazy. Praise God. You know, or like they gave to Legacy and these things happen. It's all exciting. But what happens when you're obeying God and nothing happened? So maybe that's your story too. Because if we, if we can look back at their story and they've allowed me to share it so we can reflect on it, you can see God in your story too. She said, here's the context. It's been a really rough year financially for us. A job opportunity we were hoping for, for me, fell through. And nursing contracts were, contracts were drying up. Jesse had a substantial pay decrease. Needless to say, it's been extremely tight over here. We had to cut back a lot on gym memberships, subscriptions, date night outings, bills where we could cut or spread out payments, changing insurance companies for lower premiums, the works. On top of that, we were hit with several financial blows, an investment nearly failing and draining us, tires needed to be replaced, our stove broken, a dog needed surgery, and the list goes on and on. Through it all, we've still faithfully tithed, and despite what our bank account kept showing us, we felt like our struggles had brought us closer. Through the storm, we were experiencing literal godly peace beyond earthly comprehension filled our home. Now, legacy was coming up, and we were both praying and thinking on what we actually could give. At that point, our savings had dwindled, and we didn't have much to give. And I had a dream about a certain amount, and I told Jesse about it, saying how it might have been from God. And we both thought about it and prayed about it. The amount was sacrificial in nature and was far more than the original number we had intended and therefore required pure faith and trust in God to act on the dream. However, we both had peace about it and decided that's what we would give. During that week, the week before Legacy, we did have some financial breakthrough almost immediately with finally finding a tenant for our rental home. We have been leaning on the verse from Malachi 3, if the people will do their part and give to the storehouse, the result will be an overflowing blessing from the Lord, and God will rebuke the devourer for your sake. Legacy Sunday came and went. We felt good about what we would give, knowing we felt led from God to do it. The following morning, I read a few of the comments others left on the Church Center app about being blessed the day after. At that time, our finances had just been hit unexpectedly. Almost immediately, I felt discouraged, and then I questioned if we even made the right decision. You see the doubt? Jesse reassured me that even if uh, God, God asked us to give everything, even our home, he would still provide for us. I felt like I was living on a prayer, literally. All of Monday was extremely heavy on my heart and soul. I've seen God move, and I was trying not to compare our situation with others. Tuesday, today, came around, and we both had the day off. We were crunching numbers and trying to move some money around to make up for a bill that hit us hard on Monday morning after Legacy. And I made a comment, jokingly, that we should go check the mail because who knows, maybe there's a check in the mail. Won't he do it with four T's? Jesse checks the mail, brings it to the table. I'm sitting on the couch watching him open a letter and he starts laughing with six G's. Laughing and crying. I'm like, what is going on over there? I walk over to him. He had opened up a check that was signed on 1114 with no note, just a check. 
He opens another letter and there's another check for reimbursement. We call up the beautiful human who sent us the check and she tells us that God told her to send us a check, so she did. She was operating in faith over something she didn't even know we needed. She didn't know about legacy, didn't know that what we were going through financially. She sent it on 11-14 and we didn't get it till today. God told me in a dream what to give and to trust him and we obeyed and gave cheerfully, truly. God didn't have to, but he did. He blessed us at the moment we decided before legacy what we would sacrifice for his kingdom, knowing that we would need that right thereafter. God is truly good all the time. I know several people have been walking through financial hardship as well, and my prayer for you is that you don't lose hope in God. If Scripture scripture says if God cares for the birds, how much more will he take care of you? He is a provider. He is a redeemer. And I pray that blessing over you now. And I'm so grateful that we get to give to the kingdom. Little acts of obedience and faith can be amplified on this side of eternity. And even if we don't see our promises or blessings being fulfilled, I'm always reminded of the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego being thrown into the furnace. They believed that God would rescue them. But even if he didn't, they would never stop serving or worshiping the one true God. And I pray that that is our heart too. So, looking back and reflecting, you're able to see God in your story. It gives you hope for the future. It puts things into perspective and it exposes the devil. We'd be fools not to. So I want to give you some next steps. First next step is you got to look at your calendar and find time to do it. I'm not telling you you got to like book an Airbnb for three days in the woods. If you're not used to praying at all, that's a little overkill, all right? So I want you to start in the morning at your own house, all right? Just start there. It's free. Start there. Look at your calendars and make a date with God and don't let anyone move it. That appointment is more important than any other appointment. And may I encourage you, don't do anything digitally. The overwhelming scientific evidence behind you having paper and pencil in your hand and what it does to your emotions and your physiology is, is, is so lopsided on the side of you better do it that way. Just don't take any, buy right on my iPad. Not that day you don't. Go buy a journal and a real pen and just write whatever God starts to say. It'll change, it, it's incredible what your fingers start writing that they would never type. So get, get that day on the calendar. And then begin reflecting each night before you go to bed. Instead of rehearsing what Jim told Pam, start reflecting. <laughs> start reflecting on what God did just that day. But Lena, that's how I unwind. I don't think so. I don't think it's helping you like you think it is. Reflect before bed. I'm talking, I don't have to write a lot, just whatever. God, thank you for this today. Thank you for that text I got from a friend. Thank you. End your night with gratitude and reflection. It'll change your life. Number three, ask God to reveal to you his hand in your whole year and where he's been. There's, he's probably been in situations you forgot you were even in. 
and he'll bring it to your, rem your remembrance and it'll change your, your heart disposition and your perspective. And then ask God to make your next steps clear. Complete with confirmations from trusted voices, by the way. Because if God gives you a next step and it sounds like a big next step and you don't ask anybody that is a Christian and a spiritual and wise, there's a good chance um, you're missing out on some wisdom there. So God's going to speak to you even right now. So prayer partners, come forward. Everybody stand to your feet. Jesse, Jacqueline, thank you all for sharing your story. <clears throat> everybody say double down. <laughs> double down. We're going to double down even right now. The prayer team's here at the end of every service. And they're going to pray over you. Whatever you need prayer for. If it's a physical healing, let's double down. Let's pray in faith. If it's something financial, come down to double down. Get someone's faith on it. You don't have faith for something, borrow their faith. That's what they're here for. And let's see God do miracles today. Altars were full first service of people saying, yes, I want God's hand on my, my tomorrow. I want God hand, God's hand on my future. And I'm not going to let the devil sneak up and bring doubt into my mind. God is for me. Who can be against me? There's no doubt in my mind that you're going to leave here today full of faith and that God's going to begin to do even more miracles in your life. Um, and you'll see his miracles in greater ways through your reflection. And ask, ask these people to pray with you over, any, over anything you need. And then ask if you're, if you're someone who's coming back to Jesus, come and get their faith. So, and pray, have them pray over you that you'll leave here uh, with a solid decision made. If you've never made Jesus Christ the Lord of your life, all you got to do is take that physical step of walking down here and telling them, I'm tired of being king of myself. I need to let go and give Jesus control. I want him to be my savior and my Lord. They will pray a prayer of faith with you. Heaven will have a party and the devil gets a big old black eye. And so that is what they're here for. On the sides of the room is communion. Remember, it's gratitude. It's not a matzah bread, cracker, and grape juice. It's gratitude. So they're going to say out loud, his body broken for you, his blood shed for you, your sins are forgiven. I would suggest your response is, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, for this. It's a heart connection to him. It's not a tradition. It's a heart connection. So we invite you to come and get prayer, come and receive communion. Let me pray for you. Hold your hands out like in receiving position. God, with our hands wide open, we're, we're, we're not holding on to control. With our hands wide open, we say, whatever you want to put in these hands before we leave today, God, do it. We're here to hear from you and receive from you. So, Lord, in the next five minutes, would, would our hearts be sealed with the word that was shared today, that the devil can't come and steal it or distract us, that we're leaving here today with clarity of mind and thought that breeds peace, and we're leaving here with gratitude in our soul, ready to reflect on the year and see you in our story. And next year, we'll, we'll see you even more and more and more. God, for those that are feeling down today, would they leave encouraged? For those that are encouraged today, would they leave ready to spread it? God, whatever the case, meet them at this altar. In Jesus' name, amen. You're free to respond. Thank you for listening to the Purpose Church Podcast. If God used this message to impact your life, Tell us your story by emailing mystory@thepurposechurch.com. Be sure to follow us on social media and check out our website at thepurposechurch.com to get connected and receive all the latest information.